0: listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church sermon audio podcast. If you'd like more information about our church go to nrhbc.org. Keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3 if you will. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. It's an important day. I know many of us will enjoy uh, the recreation, the leisure of a three-day weekend but among the things that are so important for us is we remember those who've fallen overseas, and in places where, uh, because of the military service, I am the proud son of a Navy CB, a Vietnam vet who passed away in 07. I never had the privilege of meeting my father-in-law, who passed away when my wife was but two, three weeks of age, probably as a result of Agent Orange in Vietnam, and so we're mindful. And it's one thing to lose the generation above you, as my wife did, as a result of conflict but it's another thing that some of you have lost the generation that came behind you you've lost your children you've lost a niece or a nephew or a grandchild let's stop and pray can we do that father we express but a token of the rightful appreciation that you deserve we could have been born anywhere but you put us in the united states of america And while these are turbulent days, we still thank you for the men and women who have the courage of putting on a uniform to stand against evil in foreign, domestic places. Sometimes they must use force, Lord, and they do so as an act of justice so many times. You love justice. You love defending those who are weak, the widow, the orphan. And we come before you today as one we know you love justice, you hate the chaos, of disordered societies. And we pray your healing, your healing presence is with fathers and mothers, uncles and aunts, sisters and brothers who've lost their family members in service to this nation. And Father, may every one of us cherish religious freedom. We could have been born behind a a tyrannical curtain where Christianity was illegal You don't want anyone forced. You don't want anyone forced to convert. It should be a level playing field, Lord. May the best God win. And so you certainly have a desire to everyone have the right to know you and to worship you in all nations. So, Father, would you continue to bless the generation to come and bless those who are in uniform to stand against tyranny, to stand against religious tyranny anywhere and everywhere? Would you give us brave men and women to boldly push back against evil dictators who seek to prevent us from having access to you and your word? And Lord, would you not give us the government we deserve, but the one that you by mercy would grant us in your blessings? Would you give us a Washington, D.C., and Austin, a local government that reflect your character? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Keep Ephesians three open for the third week. We look at a prayer, one of the most meaningful, powerful prayers in all the Bible. The prayer itself, it feels as if you're on an escalator right into the very throne, in the presence of the Lord. And so we look today at what is known as the benediction in verses 20 and 21. The benediction is a fancy, it's a Latin term for this, is how we're gonna close the prayer, all right? That's how a would speak. This is how we're gonna close the prayer. And we can see, obviously, it's a prayer, as read a moment ago by Joyce in verse 14. It says, for this reason I bow my knees. And what continues from verse 14 all the way through verse 21 is a prayer. And for the third and final week, I'm calling and challenging our church to pray for Generation Z. Generation Z its what they're being known as. Now, many of you know the millennial generation. They're more famous, they're more well-known. But Generation Z, is anywhere from 1995 to 2010. And I might just say, I'm using it as anybody that's under the age of 18, whether that's accurate or not. Generation Z, I have the privilege of having three of these in my home, and they are to be the most populous generation in the American nation. 68 million strong, more populous than millennials, more populous than my generation, Generation X. They are an important generation They love digital, that's what they're known for as of this present time. They're known for their phone, they're known for digital. 70% of their communication is through digital mechanisms: social media, texting, 70%. Someone has called them not teenagers, but screen-agers, where their phone is their wallet. And we need to be praying for a spiritual breakthrough for this generation. We gotta be on the same page as a church for this. Reminds me of a story of a man that was moving a refrigerator and it was wedged in this back kitchen door and his neighbor saw this and being neighborly, he ran over, got on the back of the pickup truck and the two were just wrestling and wrestling and wrestling in this refrigerator. It's when the neighbor said, uh, hey, glad to help you, but I don't believe we're going to be able to get this thing in your kitchen. So which the owner said, get it in my kitchen. I'm trying to get it out of my kitchen. You gotta be on the same page. You Gotta be working for the same direction. And we who are part of this church need to be working for and praying for a spiritual breakthrough in the next generation. Now just put your beautiful faces right here for just a moment. If I know anything about leadership, leadership is this. Leadership means you incur more responsibilities and you give up more freedom. That's what leadership is. If you wanna be a leader in your family, You take on more responsibility and you give up more freedom. You wanna be a leader in your work, leader in your church, you take on more responsibility and you give up freedom. You give up freedom for the joy of serving the next generation. That's what a leader does. And we as a church, I'm calling upon us to pray and to lead so the next generation would flourish for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just a mind-run Christianity, not just a playing church as usual, but a spiritual breakthrough. Why do I pray that? Why is this such an urgent thing? I'm going to give you three studies. I'm going to cite three studies, the first of which you see is a Lifeway study. This study will show us that Generation Z is dropping out of church. They're dropping out of church, this generation, almost at a record pace. When asked, they increasingly refer to themselves as nuns. Now, none does not refer to as I don't prefer Baptist or Presbyterian. I'm just like no Christian, no, no Islam, just a none of these. And it's showing up in record numbers in Generation Z. And that's why it's so important that on the Lord's day, we're in the Lord's house. Because we teach the next generation what's important. Here's what I've determined in my study of Generation Z. They're doing a lot what they've been led to do. Just let that sit there for just a second. Let's all watch that for a minute. My three, I've got three of these at home. They're not always gonna do what I lead them to do, but a lot of times they're gonna gonna do what they've been led to do, modeled to do. And you can see in the LifeWay study, we're dropping out of church. Let me give you the second of three studies. A recent University of California, Los Angeles study, UCLA. For the last several decades, UCLA has been asking incoming first-time freshmen, incoming first-time freshmen, what is your religious affiliation? They've been doing this over 180 colleges and universities, so it's not just UCLA; it's all over the map. And what they're determining in the second study is that Generation Z, three out of ten, says they're religious none. They're not Christian. They're not Islam. They're not anything. They say, "Okay, and that about mine run well." In 1986, when your pastor was starting high school, that was one in ten, that same study. It has tripled in 35 years. Triple. Now you say, what's the big deal about religious affiliation? So far, Americans will not vote in a president who has no religious affiliation. We've valued it up to this present. Now, whether we do so for the next century or so remains to be seen, but Americans historically have decided that religious affiliation is a big deal and this upcoming generation is tripled, no religious affiliation from 1986 to the present. So it's a big issue, it's a big issue. And you say, well, it's gotta be those atheistic liberal professors. Well, there's a few of those in the world, I'm aware of that, but the problem isn't there, the problem is here. The problem isn't in the university, the problem isn't in the world, the problem is again in my home. And I'm the father of three again, so I join with you in this. Let me share with you the third of these three studies. This is a University of Southern California sociologist who studied 3,500 people of all generations, 3,500 people, grandparents, parents, Gen Z, Gen X, Boomer, 3500. It's a multi-decade long study. And this is what he's determined, that faith transmission is missing in the home. The issue is not in the university, the issues is at the house. And long before they step foot on, on the university, long before they step foot in any workplace, they're already disengaging from the church and thereby disengaging from Jesus. Those two go together. A lot of people want Jesus without the church. I get that. That's like saying I want marriage without a wife. I don't know how that works. But look at this carefully. In this study, faith transmission from one generation to the other among the 3,500, you know the number one thing that happened? It's not cooler music. It's not smoke machines. It's not a cooler church. It is warm relationships within the family. That's the number one indicator If you want to keep your next generation inside church, it's warm relationships, warm relationships first and foremost with the dad. All all these studies tell us the buck stops with dad. Number two, it shows even warm relationships with grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles. There has to be a warm, inviting relationship that speaks about God in the home. We've seen this over the last several decades as well. Those who will attend church over the next decades overwhelmingly tend to be people who are coming from an intact family. Mom and dad have stayed together. When the family is not together, we see locally and we see around the nation church attendance drops off. It matters, the warm family relationships matters. Again, it's not a cool student minister, they may help, it's not a great children's minister, that may help great music that they're attracted to. The number one thing is warm family relationships. And we need to be praying on the same page for the transforming power of the gospel and God to be in this generation. they are gonna be doctors and carpenters, they are gonna be plumbers, There are going to be all these things. But we need, among this generation, a spirit-filled people. Well, pastor, maybe the church has just seen better days. Jesus said, not on my watch. That's a great place to insert an amen. Someone will say that again because you missed it. Don't try to make up for it. You say, pastor, maybe the church, maybe it's just passed it by. Jesus says, not on my watch accessory of Philippi, Jesus said these words, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. And I'm just naive enough to believe that what he says is true, that he will keep the church moving and going and shaping influence around the globe. And so I wanna call upon us to pray, and I wanna call upon us to lead and let this generation flourish, and to see them sent off into all their professions with a heart and a passion for the Bible and for God. And so what we've done is in this insert provided for you a template of how to pray for this generation. Just open it up if you will. You're gonna see lots of beautiful photos of men, women who are teaching and thank God for them. Majority of those folks that are pictured here are not paid. But inside the cover, you're gonna see Ephesians 3, 14-21. And you're gonna see a place where you can insert the name of a Gen Z student. Now I've told you, 330 walked in the doors of Northridge and Hills Cross Church in the month of May. So you can personally adopt one of these. It may be a grandchild or a child or a sister or brother. You may be a student here and you're beginning to pray for another student or a brother and sister who would come, but I'll show you how this would be done. Emma is the number one most popular name among Gen Z. According to the Social Security Administration, Emma is the most popular name for this generation. Here's how you'd pray for Emma. I'm just going to read right from what you have. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant Emma to be strengthened with power through his spirit in Emma's inner being so that Christ may dwell in Emma's heart through faith. that Emma being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That Emma may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, this is our focus this morning, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's how you do it. I'm going to ask that you would keep this someplace. And many of you are going to pray for children and grandchildren, but let me say something to you as your pastor. Among these 330, many of them do not have moms and dads that have any allegiance to Jesus. Some of those moms and dads would, if they had their Druthers would not have them walk in the doors of this church. They think we're a cult, they think we're crazy. So we need people to pray for them by name. And you can go to one of our pastors, our children's pastor, preschool, student pastors, say give me one or two to pray for by name. And we would would love for you to do that. And at the end of this service, I'm gonna challenge you to pray over the next generation. At the end of this service, during the invitation time, I'm gonna ask that husbands and wives come together. And if your child's in the service, to go and pray over them. This is embarrass your teenager at church day. It's what we've called this. But seriously, at the invitation, I wanna be real clear on this because you're Baptist, and you have this habit of this invitation thing that we do, you just look at me, okay? You just look at me like like my children do. But at that time, I'm gonna ask that you'd stand and go to them and pray, and pray with friends and family. Today's a great day to come to faith in Christ and talk to one of our pastors, but during that, I want every person praying. Would you do that with me here in a few minutes? Is that your, is that your I will do that face? Is that what that is? Oh, bless my heart, bless my soul. Fathers, would you pray for your daughters? Mothers, will you pray with your sons and for your sons? Students, would you pray for your classmates? Grandparents, would you pray for your grandchildren? Let's join together and pray for a spiritual breakthrough. Look, I've been in ministry now for about 23 years. I'm about the halfway point, just about there. And as I stand on the precipice about halfway, I can say with all candor, with all truthfulness, that the trajectory that Christianity is going on the next two decades doesn't look as hopeful as the past two. Anybody tend to disagree with me on that? Doesn't look good. We need to be praying with earnestness and zeal and enthusiasm. We need to meet the evil of our times, the carelessness of our times, with a zeal and a passion to pray. And we need to be praying for this generation. I've got hopes and dreams that my three would get degrees and have good jobs and good careers and marry good people and all that. But wouldn't I be a miss wouldn't I have failed in some way if that upon exiting my home that they're not engaged with a church someplace and put their shoulder to the grindstone and doing some form of ministry? Not just warming a seat someplace, but taking the reins and saying, "I'll teach those middle schoolers" I'll come in and volunteer with these preschoolers. I'll lead a Bible study. I'll take a mission trip. That's what we need to see. Not a shallow faith, not a put my toe in the water and see if it's right, and if the pastor and the music all suit me just right, I'll do something. But no, I want to lead. I want to lead with passion. That's what we need to pray for, for all these in this next generation. So today, I want to just spend a few minutes looking at verses 20 and 21. And I want to look with you at the benediction of this great prayer. I want you to see with me in verse 20, just sort of put this label over the top of it. He can do more than you think. Isn't that good news? He can do more than you think. Verse 20 says, now to him who is able. Now, I love the way that starts because it starts with what is known as a doxology. You may not have the word doxology in your vocabulary, but you have it if you're a believer in your heart you may not have it in your mind but you've got it in your heart every genuine child of god has some doxology in them what is a doxology that's a great question you're asking some great questions this morning a doxology is a short spontaneous burst of praise it's a short spontaneous burst of praise and paul begins this he, he begins the end of his prayer with this, now the one who is able, now him who is able. And what we need more in this church is some doxology in our vocabulary. We need some more doxology seeping through all that's happening. We need to have some more bursts of spontaneous praise. Because my dear Christian friend, every one of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ should have some doxology in you. You should do more doxology to the Lord God than you do for your favorite sports team or for your grandchildren or for whatever your favorite restaurant might be. We need to have this burst of short, spontaneous praises for the goodness of the Lord. Paul begins the end of the prayer with saying, now to him who is able. Then he comes an important phrase, three words in verse 20. He says, far more abundantly. Three words in English, one word in Greek, far more abundantly. And That one word in Greek is an adverb with a double prefix. People say to me, pastor, would you talk more about money and give us more grammar lessons? Well, I'm doing what you want. (laughs) It's an adverb with a double prefix. And it's a really rare word in your New Testament. It appears only three times. Paul uses it all three. It's likely he coined it. In other words, he found something so great the power of God, that's his description here. He said, you know, there's no word available to me in my language, so I'm gonna have to invent a word. So he takes an adverb adverb, and he puts two prefixes on it. Began to think about that. My father was a mechanical engineer and he would hang out with cool things, big earth moving equipment, steel and aluminum. And I remember some of those things that he would show me from time to time, tires on these dump trucks that were my height. And I did a little Google searching, and I found that the world's largest hydraulic shovel is not in Texas. Who thought that? I mean, the biggest thing should be in Texas. It's in Alberta, Canada, and there are oil minefields there. Somebody should go get that and bring it to its rightful home in Texas. This thing was shown in the 2009 Transformer movie. It can, in one shovel load, hold up to 94 tons. In an hour, this thing can shovel 9,000 tons in just one hour. I think if Paul were to see this hydraulic shovel, he'd probably have an adverb with one prefix, but not two. When I think about greatness in our day, I think we're on the cusp of the Olympics again. And every time I see Simone Biles, she is outstanding. It's as if they've taken bones out of her leg and there's springs in there somewhere. And every time she does something, Those who are narrating are telling us that's never been done before. I think if the Apostle Paul were to see Simone Biles and this hydraulic shovel, he would have an adverb with one prefix, but he wouldn't give it two. Because if you're gonna get two prefixes to speak of the far more, the super hyper, that's only reserved for the Lord God. He's here here today to tell us that available to the believer if you pray is a power that's at work within you and it's far more abundantly than you ask or think. It's not a little bit more, it's far more. It's not a 10%, 20%, no, he says it's beyond your imagination. He gives it this double adverb. And Paul goes so far here to say that this is the only time he's spoken about power. In this verse by verse study of Ephesians in 2021, Paul is trying to communicate to us who are believers the power of God available to us. So back in chapter one, verses 19, 20, and 21, if you want to flip back there, this is a repeat of much of what he prayed for there. There in verse 19, you'll see it on the screens, we are told to pray and to think along these lines when we're believers. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. You can render the Greek of verse 19 Similar to this, he's saying according to the power of the power of the power. He has to give it three times to describe to us the power that's available inside a believer, that he's making available inside of us. In fact, just keep walking with us in verse 19, now verse 20 in chapter one, and he begins to define the power. He tells us it's the power that worked in Christ when he raised him on Easter Sunday. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, in verse 19, we're told, is available to the believer. And then at the end of verse 20, into verse 21, we're told this, it's the same power that seated Christ at the ascension, at the right hand of heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Invisible to our eyes, is a competition for the throne. Ephesians says to us, what was invisible to our eyes, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead also outlasted all competitors and put Christ on the throne. The good news is that same power is available to every believer, every one of you. That's what he's telling us. It's like Dodge has taken that big old hibby engine that belongs in that truck that can like haul half of America and put it in one of those little smart cars. I mean, the engine's bigger than the car. He's putting this inside of us. So in chapter three, verse 20, to go back in this theme of this power that's available to you as a believer, not to the pastor, not to a nun, not to a monk, not to a priest, but to a believer, average, ordinary person in Christ, he's calling on us, chapter three, verse 20, That this power is available to us when we pray. Let's sum up now, just to make sure all of us on the same page. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, enthroned Jesus in the heavenly places, raised and enthroned us with him is at work within us to achieve infinitely more than we ask or imagine. Friend, you cannot pray a prayer in the will of God that exceeds God's power. He's always got horsepower in reserve. You say, but pastor, I'm going against this disease. I'm going against this rebellion. I'm going against this spiritual rebellion in my life and in my family. There's not any obstacle that you will come across that there's not horsepower in reserve. And when you pray, he's gonna do more than you ask, more than you think, more than you imagine. You may think in these evil times that God is idle. That maybe God is standing behind 7-Eleven smoking some cigarettes instead of being at work on that day. Nothing can be further from the truth. God is not idle, God is not dead, he's not taking a break. Indeed, the verse 20 says, he's doing far more abundantly with the ask or think. He's going to go beyond your prayers, in fact, when you as a believer can think accurately and biblically like this, you give me the life of Jesus Christ, there's not a moral or spiritual victory that I cannot achieve. Because the very energy that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside a believer. This is not name it, claim it. This isn't TBN, gold chair, big hair stuff. This is Ephesians. This is what's available to us. And so let me just dig in one more layer. Let me just go back over this just to encourage God's people to pray. Let me just get my arms around all that the New Testament says about motivating us to pray. Your Bible says that through your prayers, God changes the course of history. That when you pray, Jesus taught us that he will work justice in the world through our prayers. The Bible tells us there are many things that will not happen because you've not asked. There are some things, some gifts that you will not receive because you have not asked for them. There's some impact that will not happen in the course of time because you and I have not pleaded for it. And the Bible says when you do ask, he will do far more above anything that you can ask or imagine. And to put a one more cherry on top, he does not begrudge us any gift because we're his children. And that's a wow moment. In fact, I wanna, I wanna go through that again because I can't think of few things that would encourage me to pray. As I've thought and studied and meditated on this week, I've thought to myself, Scott, you've been a believer now for 40 years, and it seems to me that God has given you a tremendous weapon in prayer. It's been like a bazooka, it's been like a nuclear bomb, but you've been thinking of it like a, a pea shooter, like a BB gun. And you thought, Scott, if it's going to get done, I've got to do it, rather than really weaponizing prayer. So just to put it in your mind, just to, just to tattoo it, just to, just to put it there, let me go back through this again. The Bible says, through our prayers, God makes changes to history, history. Jesus taught us that he will work justice in the world through our prayers. The Bible says there are many things that he will not give us because we have not prayed. There are many things that he will not impact the world because we've not asked for them. And then when you do take time to ask, when you do pray, he will do far more above anything that you ask, anything that you can imagine or anything that you think, and he begrudges you no good gift. No good gift does he withhold from his children. As I sort of sum this up, in a 1970s kid that listened to a lot of Johnny Cash and trucking songs on 8-track back in the day, I just think that in the words of that trucking song, he wants us to put the hammer down when it comes to praying. Reminds me of a king of Israel who, in the words of Isaiah, he would take a letter from the threatening king of Assyria, an evil, tyrannical, Ruler, and he said he took that ruler that threatened Israel and God's people's protection and he spread it out before the Lord. And he weaponized prayer because the God who runs the universe is also our Heavenly Father. And on top of that, Jesus calls us to pray with impudence. Impudence. Don't be embarrassed if you don't know the word. I didn't know it either. I had to look it up. It's asking for something that really, by no right, should you ask. It's as if you're rude. It's as if you're insistent. You know, sometimes in prayer, what you have to do is, if your child is so sick and you can't get the doctor's attention, you take the doctor's coat and you say, I need you to pay attention. When you talk to the teacher and the professor and you, don't, you can't get through them, you, you take hold of them. And you say, I need you to pay attention to this. And God is inviting and challenging us to pray like this in these evil days, in these evil times to pray in the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11 with impudence, with rudeness, with a sense of bravado. So what does that look like? I think it would look like this, Father in heaven, you know my three are up against it in this world, and there's so many things that are coming against them, and I'm asking, Father, that you'd give them a heart to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I'm asking you, Father, you know what's happening. And sometimes we win, and sometimes we lose. And I need you to turn your face. This is how the psalmist would call us to pray. Turn your face and look intently. I need you, Father, to do this. This is your will. This is You've taught me to pray this way, and I need you to do it, and I'm not seeing it. You may be afraid to pray that way. You need to drop the hammer down. I've rehearsed for you how the Bible calls on us to pray. And I'm asking and challenging you to pray that way for the next generation. And then the Bible says, when you pray that way, rinse, wash, and repeat. Repeat it. Just because you prayed it once on a Tuesday morning, doesn't mean you stop praying it. Jesus said about this widow woman, she was the weakest of all society. They had a corrupt judge in the area. And the widow woman, like any man who's married, knows that she can nag him into doing anything. The men, it's important you look right here and you don't say anything at this moment. Your afternoon's happiness. I just would be mute. I would not say any amen at this point. This widow woman nags this corrupt judge into submission and he finally gives her justice. Jesus says if a corrupt judge will do that because of the incessant asking of a widow woman, how much more should you be praying incessantly, without reserve, drop the hammer down. Church family, most of the prayers I hear are for a loved one's health. We're praying for somebody's healing. And listen, if today, this afternoon, you get word that something's happened to me, please pray for my health. But a lot of times what we're doing is asking for safe people to stick around, what we need to be praying for is for a spiritual revolution, for spiritual breakthrough. Ephesians 3.20 says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. So let me ask you some personal questions. Let me ask you some personal questions. Do you believe that God can do anything? You should think about that for just a second. Teenagers. Children, do you really believe that God can do anything? Your parents may believe it, but do you believe it? And if you were to say yes, I would tell you, I really don't care what you say, it matters more how you pray. If I could take your private prayers and make them public, if I could take your private prayers and make them public, Would the people reading and looking and watching at those prayers really believe, do you believe in a God who can do anything? Some of you are praying as if God has a couple of arms tied behind his back. Let me ask you one more convicting personal question. If you believe that God can do anything, would others conclude that through your prayer life? Here at the end of verse 20 and 21, the word says this way, verse 21, to him be the glory. It's a doxology in the beginning and it's praise at the end. What does to him be the glory mean? Giving glory to God is like a football team carrying its coach out after a big victory upon their shoulders. Giving glory to God is like when an orchestra is completed with their finale and the crowd raises to their feet. Giving glory to God it's like when a battleship comes home victorious, back to American soil, and family and loved ones go to the shore to welcome them back in. We're to pray, and we're to pray and to give God glory. The angels were made. Their chief occupation is to praise. That's what they do morning, noon, and night. If you were to be allowed in the very presence of God, all you'd hear is the praise of God 24-7, 365. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You've got, if you're a genuine believer, some doxology in your heart. You may be Baptist, you may be traditional, it's time to let the doxology out. We're made to worship and sing. We were made to brag on a hero, namely God, to make a big deal about him. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.